The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where the finals are here. It feels like the finals just left, but the finals are back. And just like we all thought eight months ago, the Milwaukee Bucks will be in Phoenix facing the Phoenix Suns, the same Phoenix Suns who have not played in the playoffs since 2010 in the 2021 NBA Finals. In a matchup that I think is we're about to get to is actually quite intriguing. Um, these have been the two best defensive teams of the playoffs by quite a bit. Actually, they're first and second in defense for the playoffs. Here are their net ratings and offensive and defensive efficiency for the regular season. Milwaukee, Offense, 116.5 points per 100 possessions. That's pretty good. Phoenix offense, 116.3 points per 100 possessions. Whoa, 0.2, that's it. Defense, Milwaukee, 110.7 points per 100 possessions allowed. Phoenix, 110.4. These teams could not be any closer on paper. I think they bring uh, actually some similarities in terms of schematic flexibility personnel, how they're built, how they can play defense in one way and then maybe morph into another way. And hovering over all this, obviously, is the status of Giannis Antetokounmpo, the two-time MVP, who injured his knee in the latter stages of the Hawks series, the conference finals. And, you know, it's always hard to talk about a series when you don't know if the best guy is going to be available and at what state he's going to be. On the one hand, I think a very limited Giannis like if he's 60% or something, could, this may sound sacrilegious, in some stretches actually hurt the Bucks because he's not James Harden as a shooting threat where it doesn't matter if he's running around with one leg, you still have to guard him 35 feet from the basket. Giannis, without his athleticism, without his burst, without his shot block, without his rebounding, is often going to clog space for the Bucks on offense, and we saw when that space opened up in the last few games of the Hawks series, suddenly Brooke Lopez was dunking and dunking and dunking, and Bobby Portis was dunking and floating and looking at people with with his uh, with his self proclaimed crazy eyes, and the, that's because the paint was open. On the other hand, if Giannis can't go, I don't think the Bucks can win the series. I think the Bucks can make it a competitive series because they're still really good without Giannis. But I just think the lack of depth plus Phoenix just being rock solid top to bottom would wear them down. And we'd be looking at a Suns in six at worst, maybe, scenario for the Suns. So that's where I am coming into the finals. Let's welcome in to preview the series, X's and O's, adjustments, everything, the one and only Kevin Pelton. How are you? I'm doing well. And you didn't even mention, by the way, these teams literally could not have been closer in the two regular season matchups, which were both decided by one point, one of them in overtime. I'm excited. I and I'm not like I know when people say they're excited about Bucks Suns, you're like, well, of course the NBA nerd is excited and he's trying to finger wag, you know, that oh everyone should really get into Nikola Jokic and all that. Like it's actually I just think these teams are both really good and they match up really well. Um, is there anything I said in my little mini intro that resonated with you before we break down the two sides of the ball? Uh, the part about the importance of Giannis to this being a good series, I think that resonated. I mean, it's definitely, we seem to be in a better place than when, you know, he first went down and you're looking at this worst case scenario of Phoenix against a, an overmatched opponent in the finals, whether it's the Hawks with a limited Trey Young or the Bucks without Giannis. And so the potential for him to play at some point in this series and hopefully look something like 
like what he did, you know, over the course of the playoffs is certainly an encouraging one that, you know, after a playoffs that have been marred by injuries, hopefully we can not have those be the dominant storyline of these finals. And I do think, you know, I just, as, as good as they looked in closing out Atlanta without Giannis, and, and again, Trey Young only played the second of those two games, and Trey Young clearly was not 100% in, in game six. I just don't think they have enough juice and enough steam to beat with essentially like six guys to beat the Suns who are deep, assuming Cam Johnson's ready to go, uh, who are deep and talented and just don't have any weaknesses really and play just good players every minute of the game. I just don't think, and, and they have home court. I think without Giannis or with Giannis severely limited, this is Suns in six at or Suns in five. Uh, and, and with Giannis, it's just hard to know what, what conditions he's in. But I think, but I am excited. So let's, let's just dive right in. I want to split this up to when Team A has the ball, what are we looking for? So let's start with the Phoenix Suns. When Phoenix has the ball, and you can start anywhere you want, matchups, lineups, schemes, whatever. We know Phoenix is Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, four out around Ayton, two elite pick and roll ball handlers. The Bucks, for most of the playoffs, have started these gigantor lineups, whether it's Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, Tucker, Lopez, or Holiday, Middleton, Tucker, Portis, Lopez with Giannis absent. Let's, I, I don't know if we should pretend Giannis is playing or what, but when Phoenix has the ball, Mr. Pelton, what's the first thing you're going to be looking for? Well, I'm going to start the same place that I did when we were previewing the Eastern Conference Finals on this podcast. And I guess it's appropriate because Kevin Arnovitz and I did write a piece last week arguing that it's all about the pick and roll. So we should start at that point and how Milwaukee is going to defend it because it's really fascinating after the evolution we saw in their pick and roll defense over the course of that series against Atlanta. We talked a lot going into it about the success they'd had in the regular season in the one matchup that, that Trey Young had played in using the drop, keeping Brooke Lopez close to the basket, take away the lob to Cap- Capella in that case, and, uh, and and John Collins, and try to make Trey Young shoot from the mid-range. And then Trey Young shot like 150% on floaters in game one of that series, and Lopez was on the bench in the fourth quarter. And even though he played the rest of the series, they played a lot less drop coverage. Uh, I wrote about this. Uh, on on our keys to the uh, to the series on ESPN.com, and you know it went from they'd been playing about forty percent of the time soft coverage according to Second Spectrum through Game One of the the Eastern Conference Finals in the playoffs that went down to twenty six percent games two through four, and in most of those going to switches, and then in games five and six without Giannis, they dropped on just nine percent of Atlanta's pick and rolls. So do you just start that way in this series, knowing that you've got two mid-range marksmen in Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the other side? I don't know what they're going to do. I thought it was really interesting. So uh, game five, Giannis and Trey sit. And the Bucks decide, okay, we're just going to switch everything. Let's just keep it simple. We're switching everything. Even with you, Brooke Lopez, we're switching with you. You're going to go out and guard Kevin Herter and Bogdan Bogdan. We're switching everything. Then game six comes and Trey plays. And I thought, well, they'll probably not switch against Trey. I bet they revert back to some sort of different coverage with Trey Young because do you really want Brooke Lopez dancing out there with Trey Young? And what do they do? They switched everything anyway. And so I think one of the reasons I think this series is interesting is I think both of these teams have the ability to play lots of different looks defensively, even when, even when their sort of behemoth centers are in the game. So I think we will see Lopez drop a lot at the beginning of the series because that's just what the Bucs do. 
Um, but I think we'll see him come out higher. And we saw even with Zubats as he eased into that series, if you just come out a couple steps higher and you start to learn the timing of those guys, you eat up enough space so that when they get to their comfort zone, you're kind of there to contest those shots. Zubat's got a better rhythm. So I think we'll see Brooke do that. I think we'll see him switch some and just say, let's see what you can do. Now, I don't think you can count on Brooke Lopez doing well enough against Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Um over a full series to win that way as as with that as your like defense on, I don't know, 50%, 60% of pick and rolls. I, ironically, I think Chris Paul's time in Houston, he was not this big isolation, let, let's dance with the ball one-on-one guy before he got there. Obviously, he could do it. Obviously, he could torture big guys on switches, but Houston had him lean into that, and that could come in handy here. Um, we might, who knows? They could even put Brooke Lopez on Jay Crowder and say we're going to put Giannis on Aiton and switch everything. I doubt we'll see a lot of that. We don't see Bud do that. But, you know, I don't, I think the last two games of the Hawks series are a little bit of a harbinger because I think it, if I'm the Bucs, I feel a little emboldened to at least lay it in the clock, at least um, in some possessions as a changeup that we're going to switch more, even with Brooke Lopez. The one thing I do wonder how it intersects is personnel because I, I so I didn't watch uh, live as it was happening that last Bucks Suns game in April that went to overtime. So I didn't realize that Giannis in the first minute of overtime actually when Devin Booker was driving to the hole against Brooke Lopez on a switch, Giannis comes over to erase that shot and save a bucket, but in his process, in the process rolls his ankle and misses the rest of that game. And it's fascinating that when he came out at that subsequent timeout. So did Brooke Lopez, that Bud decided that those guys were kind of tied together, and they instead went to P.J. Tucker at center, put at that point they could put both Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo in on the wing, along with Middleton and Drew Holiday, who are the givens there. Uh, that's obviously not an option here because you got the DiVincenzo injury, which you know often gets kind of overlooked in, in the Bucks' lack of depth when Giannis is out. But uh, Huge, huge, huge blow, and I'm glad you mentioned it because both of these teams are getting a little crap for you know, benefiting from injuries along the way. And they both clearly did. Like, I, I think I think Brooklyn wins that series and maybe going away if both Kyrie and Harden are healthy and probably even if just one of them is healthy. But they these two teams were not entirely unscathed either. Dante DiVincenzo is a big part of their team. In this series, he would be huge as just a utility defender. Like, when, when, one of, when Holiday's on the bench, he takes Chris Paul. Uh, if you want to spare Chris Middleton some time uh, guarding Devin Booker, well, okay, you can go guard Devin Booker, uh, Chris Middleton, you go guard Mikhail Bridges. He would be huge. But so to back to the point, I think part of what that was was Bud saying, if we don't have Giannis there as a secondary help defender, we're less comfortable with Brooke Lopez being away from the basket or stuck in these one-on-one matchups. And that's kind of the thing that, you know, in the those Clippers lineups with Zubats at center, same thing. You don't have that secondary help defender. So maybe their willingness to play Brooke Lopez and switch him is in some ways contingent on Giannis's health in this series. I think another wild card is just what what are the matchups? So in the regular season, Drew Holiday defended Chris Paul. Chris Middleton defended Devin Booker, and you go down from there. And DiVincenzo then was the guy you stashed on Mikhail Bridges. Not that you can – I mean, Mikhail Bridges is good. I'm not just saying you can just stash a guy on Mikhail Bridges, but he's not going to be on the ball as much as these other guys. Um, and now Tucker presumably is in the lineup – in not presumably, is in the lineup in DiVincenzo's place. And we saw him guard Trey Young 
quite a bit in the last series, and particularly at, at, toward the end, is I think I think their idea was, well, if we're going to switch everything, let's start with a bigger guy on Trey Young, so that when we switch, we switch a bigger guy onto John Collins, who was like, up uh, by the way, preposterously efficient on like crazy difficult post up shots in that series. Like every time he made one of these eighteen foot leaners, I was just like, okay, I guess he's just going to make them. Um, so I don't know. Like I think one of the wild cards is like. Who does who does PJ Tucker guard? Do you put him on Devin Booker? Do you put him on Chris Paul? I, I I think everything's in play. Or if Giannis doesn't play, do you consider getting Connaughton in there and going with Tucker and a smaller front court with Tucker and Lopez instead of starting Bobby Portis? Because that's I guessed wrong. That's I thought what the adjustment was going to be after Giannis went down for games five and six, and instead the Bucks decided to sort of lean into their strength. Uh, their literal strength and, and size and go that way. But, you know, Connaughton, I think, is going to be a really important player in this series for all those reasons you mentioned that they're going to miss DiVincenzo. He's the closest facsimile that they have to that. And he was outstanding the last few games of the Atlanta series. He's a great rebounder. Uh, he's a good defensive player. And his three-point shooting is always going to be a bellwether for the Bucks. If he goes two for four or three for five versus one for five, it's obviously a huge difference because he's going to get dared um, to shoot. I think another Phoenix has the ball thing that's just really interesting is um, Phoenix is just fiending on corner threes. I think they were number three in the percentage of shots that were corner threes in the regular season. And you want to say, well, Milwaukee gives up a ton of threes and that's by design and that's how they play. But they're one of the best teams in the league at preventing corner threes which all of the threes they give up are longer above the break threes. So just one of the things I'm going to be watching is, and we saw this is how they smoked Denver, is just they got Denver in rotation, swing, swing, corner three, all the pick-and-roll trickery that the Suns have, flare screens, the Spain pick-and-roll with the back screen, all that cool stuff completely flummoxed the Nuggets. If the Bucs, I, 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 think, I think the Bucks, whether they drop back or switch, or have Brooke Lopez sort of live in that middle ground, I think all of those schemes are kind of tailor-made for them to limit corner three. So one of that's just one of the battles I'm going to be watching is can Phoenix generate those shots? Because we saw when the Clippers went zone and when the Clippers started to switch everything, all of a sudden Bridges and Crowder were not involved at all and not getting those shots. Yeah, I mean, in, you're not trapping, you're not putting two on the ball against pick and roll, you're not hard hedging, and those are the ways that you tend to get more in rotation and give up those corner threes. I, I feel like there's going to be more opportunities for Phoenix to get to that secondary stuff off the pick and roll against the Milwaukee bench units when it's Bryn Forbes in there, or, you know, God forbid the uh, Jeff Teague, the Nazis, and Atacumpo minutes. Like, there's, there's a bit more mistake prone with that group than with the first unit, which is going to be a lot tighter in, in terms of making those mistakes. Yeah, I haven't looked up Thanasis' um, fouls per 36 minutes in the playoffs. It's got to be, we've got to be in near record territory. The guy is just a human foul. Um, he plays so hard and he just runs into people and it's it's um, it's delightful. Yeah, I mean, when, when the Bucks have their four best defenders out there, Holiday, Middleton, Tucker, Giannis, if you want to include Middleton in that group, they just have a lot of answers for you. Like they're, they should and will switch one to four. I mean, and, and you can say on Phoenix that doesn't really matter. Um, they don't run a lot of pick and roll with anybody but Aiton, but they run the Paul Booker two-man game sometimes. They have a lot of sort of prelude screens where they have the guard screen for each other before they go into the pick and roll to try and get a mismatch. And, like, that stuff isn't super dangerous to the Bucks if, again, if they have all their guys on the floor. I think both of these teams have um, some, some good answers for each other, honestly. 
Well, I think the last thing that we haven't really discussed when Phoenix has the ball is how much of his factor is Aiden if you are switching. You know, that sort of came and went over the course of that series against the Clippers. It was the thing that the Clippers were evidently scared of, why they, you know, didn't go to that small lineup and, and continue playing Zubats and DeMarcus Cousins so much in the first four games of that series before Zubats went out. But, uh, you know, it didn't seem to concern Milwaukee too much in that overtime when they went with Tucker as their biggest guy on the floor. I mean, that is that's a smaller lineup than a lot of the ones the Clippers are playing because Tucker's six five himself. So, you know, you're you're really going particularly undersized Middleton, I guess, is your, your tallest player in that group. So and Aiton wasn't a big factor in that overtime session, you know, they where Phoenix did go on to win that game. So is he capable of what we saw in game six or is it going to look more like game five? if the Bucks are switching and putting smaller players on him. Yeah, we've seen that when the Bucks go small, um, and, and in the playoffs, that's mostly been like Portis at center without Giannis or Lopez in the game. So like Middleton's your power forward. Those lineups are pretty squishy defensively. They're pretty vulnerable. And when they go super small, I, I don't know how sustainable that is without Giannis. Maybe it is more sustainable than I think. But I do know this. Their best small lineup, which is... Uh, Holiday, Connaughton, Middleton, Giannis Tucker um, is plus 31 in 55 minutes in the playoffs and has been really, really good. So, yeah, to your point, you know, you started off with Brooke Lopez and the drop coverage, right? That's the first thing we talked about. This is, um, and we talked about the corner threes and all that, but uh, above all that is the Suns take the fourth most mid-range shots in the NBA in the regular season and the Bucks give up the fourth most in the NBA in the regular season. And so... If both play to their normal strategies, and again, as we discussed, maybe they won't. Um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are going to have a lot of chances. And like sometimes that just comes down to not necessarily warping your scheme, but just playing it a little better. Brooke Lopez, can you come up a step and a half more? Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, how, how close are you getting around those screens? Do they feel you? Do they hear you from behind? Are, they, do, are you disrupting their line of sight at all? Sometimes it's just... Um, it's just that. And the other thing is um, Phoenix takes care of the ball. They're one of the best turnover teams in the league. That's a Chris Paul trademark. If they can win the possession battle a little bit, um, I, I think that helps them. And underneath all that is uh, underneath all that is the offensive rebounding. And we saw in the last series, if you start switching everything against Chris Paul pick and rolls and Devin Booker pick and rolls, uh, DeAndre Ayton's going to have a lot of chances on the offensive glass, so that'll be interesting. But the, the flip side to that is when the Bucks switched and that matchup chaos happened, you saw Bobby Portis get a lot of easy post-up buckets against guards because those switches carried over. Like there, there's all those things are sort of enveloped in how do you defend the base pick and roll attack of the Suns? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think that gets to the question that has been interesting for the Bucks during this playoffs of shot volume. Can they get more shots than their opponents? Because that's what, how they've survived, the fact that they have not shot the ball particularly well in this playoffs if we transition over to talking about when they have the ball. But, uh, you know, they may not have, be able to have that kind of edge against a team with Chris Paul at point guard and DeAndre Ayton at center on the offensive glass. Um, the possession game and, and the shot game is going to be interesting. These are two teams that do not get to the line hardly at all they're they're in the bottom of the league and generating free throws which for tv viewing purposes or just <laughs> audience viewing purposes is, is very good um anything else you want to discuss before we move to the other the other side of the the ball which i think is even more interesting frankly yeah i think we've covered it okay well let's flip milwaukee gets the ball 
What's the first thing you're looking for? And again, it's it's hard to talk about the Bucks if we don't know if the big guy's playing. But what what's what's interesting to you about this Milwaukee offense versus Phoenix defense? Well, I want to start with what I just mentioned is them surviving their lack of shooting. The Bucks have shot 31% on threes in the playoffs. There's, I think only three teams have lower marks and it's like teams that have long been eliminated months ago. If, you know, I would have told you over the last couple of years, given how I identified the Bucks are with shooting threes, that they would shoot this poorly and still make the NBA finals. I, I don't think you would have believed it. It's the lowest three-point percentage by any team ahead of the NBA finals that reached them since the 2004 Detroit Pistons at 30%. So, and I think Drew Holiday is shooting 29.9% on threes in the playoffs. And there are these games where it's like Forbes gets played off the floor. They don't trust his defense enough to play him. It's like Chris, it's like Chris Middleton is just a Superman from three and nobody else is doing anything. The good news for the Bucks is the percentage you've shot over the first three rounds basically tells you nothing historically about how well you're going to shoot in the finals. So maybe eventually it's going to come around. I mean, in the Brooklyn series in particular, it seemed like you could explain it is, okay, well, they've gone from, they don't aren't getting the catch and shoots because of the Nets switching. They're shooting all these off the dribble threes. That's not really their strength. And then there was also the fatigue element of all the minutes that Holiday and Middleton were playing and the defensive assignments against the Nets stars. And then that that didn't really apply at all in the Atlanta series in the same way. And yet they still didn't make shots. Like, you keep waiting. Eventually, the Bucks are going to make shots, right? This is the story of the Mike Budenholzer coaching era in Atlanta and Milwaukee. Whenever they don't win, it's because they just haven't made open shots well, but they have managed to survive. And by the way, I look, when they lost that game five in Brooklyn, falling from like 18 points ahead and like their offense... Their offense basically went into the blue screen of death mode. Like just someone unplugged your whole your appliance and it stopped working and they had no idea what they were doing anymore. I did an emergency podcast that night with Wendy because to talk about Durant, who went, you know, bananas, um, beyond bananas, super duper bananas. And I said, look, this feels like cosmic death for the Bucks, this game. It's just all the booted holes are stuff wrapped into one horrible game and you're down three, two. And I said, but you have to zoom out. You got game six at home. You got a really wounded opponent. You got Atlanta and Philly kind of slugging it out on the other on the other end, and like you're just better than Atlanta. And Philly has given you zero confidence that they can figure out their own freaking issues. And then you're in the finals, and, th- and that's exactly what happened. They persevered, they leaned on their defense, and they deserve a ton of credit for just gutting through bad losses, ugly losses, adversity, injury. Like it's not the prettiest run. It doesn't necessarily make me think that they've like solved any structural problems other than the fact that Giannis has clearly accepted and leaned into his role as a screen setting big man, which for, for Milwaukee's a long, long-term trajectory was a must happen and has happened, but they're here. They're in the finals and they should apologize to nobody. Um, when they have the ball, I am, let's just start right off the bat. I'm interested in the matchups in the regular season. Deandre Ayton was the primary defender on Giannis. We've seen a lot of teams put their centers on Giannis. They also have Jay Crowder, who was the primary defender on Giannis in the Heat Bucks series last year and did quite well in a series. I think most of us thought going in, Bam Adebayo would get that job, but but Jay Crowder got it. Um, and so I think that's going to be interesting um, if DeAndre Ayton is on Giannis and they do use him as a screen setter a lot. Well, is DeAndre Ayton going to switch? Is he going to drop? How are you going to navigate that? Um, and And again, Tucker... I think if I were if I were Monty Williams, I would put Chris Paul on PJ Tucker and say, we're going to try and spare you as much as we can. Um, 
we're going to put Booker on Holiday, Mikhail Bridges on Middleton, which were, were the matchups a lot in the regular season, and go that route and, and dare you to try to hurt Chris Paul, who's not a weak defender, but just he's, he's old and has been banged up and he's short. Uh, dare you to, to as, as we saw with Trey Young, dare you to involve P.J. Tucker in the offense. And if that's the case, you know, your next best thing is if Drew Holiday has Booker on him, if there's any, if there's a weak link defensively in Phoenix's starting five, and it's it's weak only by comparison. Devin Booker's a solid defender. He's weak only by comparison. I think you got to lean into that Holiday, Giannis pick and roll because if I've got Bridges on Middleton and Crowder or Aiton on Giannis, I might switch the Middleton Giannis pick and roll, which has been my bread and butter. But if I'm forcing the Bucks to lean into Holiday instead of Middleton as a ball handler, I feel like that's a slight win for me. You know, Drew's just not as good of a shooter. And we saw in the last couple of games, he's still, his decision-making can really go haywire sometimes. But I just think, like, how would you set up the matchups? Do you like Aiton on Giannis? Would you put Aiton on Lopez? Do you like CP on PJ? Like, how do you set the chessboard? So I think that Aiton on Giannis is interesting because you mentioned a lot of teams do this, but Phoenix, I feel like in some ways set the template. This was a game back in March, 2019, where they beat Milwaukee at home. It was weird. I rewatched a little bit of the first quarter of that. And it's like, oh, Dragan Bender is involved in this game and he's on Phoenix, not on, not even his stint on Milwaukee, which feels like a million years ago. By the way, this is the Dragan Bender bowl. It's the Tory Craig cash considerations bowl. It's the, we don't have Eric Bledsoe on our team anymore bowl. It's a lot of bowls. It's a lot of bowls. <laughs> There's some weird ties between these franchises. I mean, obviously you go back to the, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coin flip uh, in 1969. And, and Tory Craig is going to be an interesting one because he could play, be a factor in this series. With He's going to be a factor. I love that. Tory Craig is on a revenge tour. Nuggets, revenge. <laughs> like just every, like it's, he's getting revenge. He's like freaking uh, the bride from Kill Bill. Just, just checking him off the list. And I do think, by the way, the the structural pro- the other structural problem the Bucks solved, even though Drew isn't shooting the ball well in the playoffs, just having him out there instead of Bledsoe has solved a lot of structural problems for them late in games and the threat that he can be. But yeah, uh, yeah, yes, big upgrade. <laughs> yes, sorry, that was stated the obvious, but that was a structural. And by problem. the way, like, I don't, I hate, I hate that because it sounds so. Eric Bledsoe is a good basketball player. He's a good player. I thought he was a borderline all-star both his years in Milwaukee. He's a great defensive player. The lack of shooting just proved fatal in the playoffs. It doesn't mean he's a bad player. It just means Drew Holiday is because of his shooting threat and his kind of more polished off the dribble game. He's just a a better player. That's why they traded all the stuff they traded for him. Yeah, I mean, Bledsoe's more of an 82-game player. But anyways, so Aiton was kind of the proof of concept. And it's funny because that was at a period of time where everyone was like, well, you know, how terrible is Aiton going to be defensively? Can you survive with DeAndre Aiton as your center? And now two years later, we've come to the point where he's, you know, perhaps a plus at the defensive end of the court, but his athleticism and his size just made him a tough matchup for Giannis at that point. And I think it still makes him a tough matchup for Giannis, although maybe it's a little less desirable as a matchup now that you maybe want Aiton more around to serve as a help defender. But, uh, Giannis, when he doesn't have the ball, maybe does allow you to do th- play that role as well. And, and if you do put Crowder on Giannis, you can really easily switch the Middleton Giannis pick and roll because you're switching between Bridges and Crowder. I say that. I say all of that knowing that Mikhail Bridges is giving up a whole lot of weight and strength against Giannis. If you make that switch with 16 on the shot clock, it's a big problem. If you make that switch with four on the shot clock or seven on the shot clock, it's much less of a problem. 
I'm very interested to see what they do. I think they will switch Aiton a little bit. They'll, they'll try to drop, and, and Aiton is a little more agile than Brook Lopez, can come up a little higher and get back. I'm working on a story about DeAndre Ayton's defense. I talked to him the other day. He, he was great just talking about all the progress he's made, just feeling out how far is my big man uh, rolling behind me? How, how much distance do I have? Am I, am I there? Am I, oh, should I be more worried about that, less worried about that? I think he's gotten a lot better at that. And they've been very good at, if you watch the tape, if they switch a player onto Giannis who's too small, right? So if they switch Booker onto him, even Mikhail Bridges, they're very good at, okay, where is somebody bigger that can run in and rescue this guy and not give up an open three? Crowder is great at that. Bridges is good at that. I think we're, I think we're going to see that. And just like the Bucks, I think the Suns are like well equipped to defend a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, two man games, a lot of these actions. They just have a good Bridges, Crowder, Ayton, even Booker, like a pretty good switchy defense. And Chris Paul's going to fight. And Chris Paul's a beast in the post. I just think they have a lot of interesting answers. One of which is one of the things about putting your center on, on Giannis is that if and when Milwaukee, and we saw this with Brooklyn, if and when Milwaukee goes small to that lineup I mentioned that's plus 31, it doesn't really bother you because the matchups are basically the same. Like, you, like okay, you went small, that's great. You didn't really add shooting because Connaughton and Tucker are on the floors. So there's not a ton of shooting. You're not stressing me out because I already had Aiton on Giannis and now he's playing center. So everything, like, we're, they're just not, their core lineup is not bothered by that Milwaukee adjustment. And that's like, that's almost like the Hawks were bothered by it because they couldn't play Gallinari, Collins, and Capella against it. One of their best lineups was taken off the floor. The Suns are like, it's cool. You do that. It's like, fine. We're just going to play normal. Yeah, there's just a lot of versatility in those Phoenix front courts in particular defensively and a high basketball IQ defensively across the board in those Suns groups. And that's the reason that they're here. I mean, that's... That's that's a lot of it. And if you come down to making a pick under the assumption that Giannis is going to be close to 100%, I think what you mentioned there is a big factor pushing me towards Phoenix. In terms of, in what, terms what of, did I mention? In terms of them not being stressed out by Milwaukee's small ball or that not being a trump card for the Bucks. Yeah, I'm going to pick Phoenix. I mean, look, if Giannis were 100%, I don't really know who I would pick, but I'm going to pick Phoenix. Um, I, I think it's going to be a, a, a good... A good series, though. Another thing I'm going to be watching if Giannis does play. I thought the last four or five games against Phoenix, and even in previously, not against Phoenix, against Atlanta, sorry, and even in some previous rounds, I thought he he was doing a little bit more to to work as a passer. Like he was, he, a couple of his kickout looks were like half a second earlier, a beat earlier than they would be. Like he was looking to exploit the help early instead of when it was too late and and got his guys good looks. And I think at the highest, highest level, and now we're at the finals, at the highest, highest level, that's how he, he's got to have that sort of awareness. And I thought he showed good signs of that in the last couple series. Yeah, it was making the right decisions of when to pass early and when to, to go and attack because of the fact that you do have an advantage and your defender is you know off balance or at an angle so that you can go around them instead of going through them and pick up the offensive fouls that we saw a lot of during that Brooklyn series and relatively few of in the games he did play against Atlanta. Last thing that I think we should mention is um, the Bucks were, pick your metric, the best, second best, third best 
transition offense in the NBA all season. They're just a monster fast break team. Again, when the big fella plays, when Giannis plays. The Suns are really good at keeping teams out of transition, which again, it's just like they're fundamentally rock solid, well coached. Guys are put in the right positions. No one is chasing an offensive rebound they shouldn't chase. Guys are getting back, all that stuff. But by the numbers, at least, when you run on them, teams have been able to score pretty efficiently. And and that's one of the potential downsides of having an offense where there is a player in each corner almost all the time. Because if they get a rebound, you got two guys in the corner and one is just a little late going back, probably the shot that's been missed is a driver, a mid-ranger by Chris Paul with eight and rolling. You got four guys below the foul line. That's going to be just another little game within the game that Phoenix is going to have to nail. Because if Giannis plays, you just can't let them get out and transition any extra. Especially the the maneuver that they perfected over the course of the Atlanta series of when you do have a big man, you know, closing out on a guard, Trey Lou Williams, leaking out immediately. And worst case scenario, that guard has to follow you down and you've got a mismatch at the other end. And, you know, I, our buddy Nate Duncan tweeted during game six, you'd hope Atlanta had a better plan to deal with that. And I, I'm honestly not sure what that is without compromising the structure of your offense and your spacing there. I think this is, I'm just crossing my fingers that we get good Giannis, healthy Giannis. I don't think we're going to know if he's even playing until pretty close to game one. You got to figure he really wants to play, man. I mean, you only get so many, it's why James Harden played on one leg. You only get, it always feels when you get there the first time, like, oh yeah, this I'll get back here. Bucks are pretty well positioned to get back there. Really good team, pretty young, nobody's ancient. You just never know. Um, but I think this is going to be a good series. I think my official pick is going to be Suns in six. Did you make your official pick yet? I haven't made it yet, but I'm leaning towards Suns in seven. Suns in seven is the home court advantage, obviously, becomes critical there. Uh, all right, Mr. Pelton, you have um, some keys to the finals or a key to the finals up today on ESPN.com. You will be writing about all things finals um, for the next week 10 days two weeks however long this thing lasts and then right into the offseason boom draft free agency let's go kevin pelton you are uh, one of a kind thank you for coming on thanks for having me it was very odd to have a fourth of july where there weren't a bunch of free agency transactions oh i did enjoy <laughs> like it's it's already the fourth of july like it's a holiday the fourth of july is a holiday so you don't have to be like this is the fifth anniversary of kevin durant signing with no it's just the fourth of july <laughs> That's just when free agency is usually going on. It's also the fourth anniversary of Gordon Hayward signing with the Boston Celtics. No one is tweeting about that. And I loved KD's response like, yo, it's a holiday now. It's already a holiday. It's just the 4th of July. Sixth anniversary of LaMarcus Aldridge signing with San Antonio. I, I can remember my- July 4th? It, it was, yes. I don't know how many oh years it's been God. since Steve Nash got signed and traded to the Lakers, but I can definitely like tell you my, my independence days by the NBA moves that happened on that day. It was strange, actually. It was strange because I woke up and I was like, "Huh." I mean, I gotta watch some, gotta watch some Buck Suns film, but but there's no no there's no I don't have to be refreshing Twitter uh, all day long. All right, KP, I'll see you soon, bud. Thanks. You can now stream the most MLB games on Directv without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there? Whether it's roofers, Santa. Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. 
They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. I could not be more excited about this. When the Bucks made the finals, I was like, I got to get a Bucks person on here because I did the whole Suns euphoria thing with the Suns fan at ESPN. I need a Bucks person. And the first person I thought of, he just won't do it. He's too busy. He's too good. Marcus Johnson, five-time All-Star, UCLA star, and now just one of the best analysts working in sports, period. When there is a Bucks game on television, get the Bucks feed. I don't care who the other feed is. Get the Bucks feed because this guy is sitting courtside, or I don't know where you were sitting this year, and you see the game at such a high level in real time. I have to rewind to see the stuff that you see, boom, as it happens. Matchups, adjustments. You're funny. You're on the spot. You got the numbers. It's just I don't know that there's one person in broadcasting who is bringing all of those elements to the table every single game. So it's really a thrill and an honor to have you on. Marcus Johnson, how are you? Wow, Zach, thank you for the uh... – <laughs> Oh, I've, ri- I've written all that before. I've written that in columns. Like, that's yeah, not and new. Seen, and I've seen it. You're right. But it's funny you mentioned that. And I won't mention this NBA executive's name, but I had some interactions with him when he was with another team. And uh, he texted me during our broadcast uh, when we were playing against his team about some stuff that I had said and, and, and some, some – some, some, he just kind of reinforced what I was saying on the air – so uh, I was like, well, hey, man, what, what are you doing watching our, our telecast when your telecast is on? He's like, I always watch you guys over us. It just, it's, it's not even a question. So that was, uh, that was one of the highest compliments that, uh, that I could get. But I appreciate that, man. We have a, have a good time. Jim Paschke retiring this year after 35 years as a Milwaukee book, uh, broadcaster has really been uh, a pleasure to work with. Gus Johnson, I started out with also. Uh, so I've, I've worked with some really talented people and the product has been good. The organization is great. And it's just been a, been a great run these last six years. And Doris Stevenson has been an awesome yeah. addition to the team. Like it's just top to bottom, a, a great broadcast. Um, so, so you were on, you know, I grew up an eighties NBA fan. I'm almost 44 years old. So I grew up Celtics, Lakers, Celtics, Sixers, Lakers, Rockets, the whole thing. And there was one team that was always right there. Always scared me as I was a Boston fan growing up. Always scared me. I was like, these guys are kind of rough and tumble and scary, and they got dudes who could score. And that was the 80s Bucks. And and you've been associate, you were on that team, you were an all-star on that team. Now you're a broadcaster in Milwaukee. 
I just, as someone, and you guys just always came close. And those, those Philly and Boston teams were just so damn good. You couldn't quite ever get over the hump. Just what is the last couple of weeks been like as a, as a Milwaukee person, as someone who played on those teams, seeing this team finally get to the finals for the first time in so long? Well, it's definitely been a vicarious thrill for me. And it kind of happened and uh, was magnified game seven against Brooklyn. And I've been in three games, seven, my rookie year against Denver, uh, uh, the Sonics, uh, my third year in the league, and then the Sixers around my fourth or fifth year in the league. And we lost them all, but we were close. And so I actually posted something on Twitter just about the mindset going into a game seven. Don't leave anything, no stone left unturned. You got to make because you don't want to look back like I do 40 plus years later and, and wish you would have made a defensive adjustment with Brian Winters on an inbounds play down one in the spectrum with Bobby Jones taking it out, you know, and I, you know, so those kinds of things just, just stay with you. So for the Bucks to pull out the game seven and, and, the, and the funny part about that game seven, Juneteenth was that I was actually at my granddaughter's high school graduation. So I didn't get a chance to see the whole game. It was at the, uh, the SoFi the uh, stadium. They've got a nice little performing arts center, beautiful graduation ceremony. And so we rushed home after that and I caught the last three minutes of regulation all of overtime. And so that was enough. And that was, that's a, probably all I could handle. God knew what he was doing. He doing for me what I couldn't do for myself that day. But the point is, is that once they got past Brooklyn and then finally won a game seven, the Bucks had never won a game seven on the road in their history, yada, 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 yada. But that to me was the uh, moment when I felt like this is going to continue to be our year. And uh, to see Giannis and Chris Middleton, the guys that were here uh, when I started six years ago, their development as, as players, as people, as family men has, you know, that's always a good thing to be a part of and to watch, not, not you know, from, from, I won't say from afar, but uh, you know, we're not great buddies or anything like that, but to be able to observe that happening in real time, right before your very eyes is, has been an honor for me. So. This organization, man, you know, I'm not just blowing smoke. This organization is, 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 is to me, top shelf, one of the best, if not the best in the league. And uh, this is well-deserved in terms of all the hard work and the vision that Peter Fagan and the ownership group had when uh, they purchased a team like, what, seven or eight years ago. So it, 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 it's, it's been a ride. What are those last three minutes of regulation and overtime like in the Johnson household? Can you sit? Are you pacing when Durant's shot goes in? Are there are there bad words being screamed? Like, I take me, I gotta know. Take me inside the household. Well, so it was my granddaughter's graduation. So my sons are here, all my sons are here. I got five boys. Everybody's in the den, on sprawled out on the floor on couches. My wife is sitting next to me. She's a big Bucks fan. Uh, my son Chris, my oldest son, who played at UCLA, he's a big uh, kind of KD guy. So he was actually kind of pulling for KD to have another no! another phenomenal finish. He was cool with the Bucks winning, but he kept. So we, me and he, me and him, are going back and forth. So I'm telling him Zach that you know the 48 minutes that Steve Nash played him in this series in a couple of games, the fact he hadn't come out in this game is gonna catch up with him eventually. I'm telling you, man, it's gotta catch up with him. And uh, it, it took the last possession of overtime when he shot the air ball. I really would say that that possession before that when he didn't get behind the three-point line could have won the game uh the last shot in regulation but just for whatever reason i think fatigue might have had a had a bit of a factor in that maybe not major but somewhat but uh, to, to, to be able to do what he did was just special to watch but for the bucks to win it the way they did in in brooklyn on the road uh man it, it, we were going nuts here we were going crazy everybody's yelling and screaming and i'm and i'm like i'm working like i'm getting paid to do commentary i'm just kind of walk but more of a kind of ebonics laden 
type uh, profanity laced. Yeah. <laughs> kind, of, kind of color commentary. You that him, never remember that song? You know, FM, you know, I, and I, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian guy, so I'm not proud of that. But man, all that goes out the window when I'm when I'm when I'm excited and pumped up, especially about this team. You know what? What was not talked about on that last possession, by the way, the last Brooklyn possession where it ended with the Durant air ball. Yeah. When Durant was, they didn't call timeout, and Durant brings it up and he passes it off to Harden, who and you could tell Harden was like, uh, "Dude, what are you doing, man? I, I got one leg. Like here, you take it back." When he threw that pass, I I remember turning to the guy I was watching, and like, "Oh, that's not. This is this possession is not." Under. That was just a weird moment that I I feel like was lost amid. You know, yeah. Kevin Durant's greatness, the Bucks winning the game. Like when that pass happened, I remember thinking, oh, ooh, they're not going to get a basket on this on this possession. Yeah. And, and, and again, that that goes back to just you got to you got to, you know, playing 50 plus minutes or whatever it was, playing the whole game, uh, scoring 49 a couple of games prior to this dude had to be just on on not even on fumes. I mean, just just really gasping for like last breath type type air and all that. And, and when that happens as a player, I mean. You know, say you know, say fatigue makes cowards of us of us all. But not that he's he was a coward in that situation. But it, you you're just not thinking straight, and, and 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 your mind is foggy, and 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 everything's running together, and, and you know, it's it's hard to to stay in the moment, and and, and and it's a whole lot of challenges that go on when you have played as hard and as well as he played for that amount of minutes. So I, I'm with you. I mean, when he gave the ball up, it's like okay, oh wait, wait, whoa, wait a oh wait a minute, you know, it's almost like a plea for somebody else kind of take this onus off me, a temporary plea. He knew he had to take that shot. But if Harden would have been aggressive and would have tried to win it himself, I don't think KD would have minded. I've been I've been in Milwaukee a lot the last few years, not since the pandemic hit. I've, I've been in the Deer District. I'm watching the Deer District on TV. And I'm like, my God, that is a sea of humanity. This place is going nuts. Milwaukee, I know some of our ESPN colleagues who I love kind of disparaged Milwaukee a little bit a couple of weeks ago. I love those guys. They're entitled to their opinion. Milwaukee, like Chicago, like a lot of Midwest cities, spring and summer. Oh my God, is it nice there? So what you've been walking around, like what is the city just on fire? Can you go, are people high-fiving you in the street? Like what's, what's life like? Yeah, no, the city is, uh, it's crazy. It's, I mean, and I'm actually in Los Angeles now. I'll be there for game three at home. I'll be in Phoenix tomorrow night for uh, for the opening uh, of the NBA Finals. But I'm getting all these texts. So my barber, Diedrich, the, the lineup king, that's what I call him, man, just a great barber. But Diedrich King, he sends me – well, actually, one of my good friends in Milwaukee sends me a picture of Diedrich just bawling like a baby, just crying after the <laughs> after the buck to go into the final. And my boy Lance was like, yeah, yeah, your boy Diedrich's taking it kind of hard, man. He's all, he's all <laughs> emotional. He's all in his feelings over these bucks right now, but it was a beautiful thing. And, and that's, that's the kind of uh, dedication that these, these people in Milwaukee, these fans have uh, toward this team. And, uh, and again, to have it happen the way it did for the Milwaukee Bucks this year, um, you know, the, the, the city deserves something like that. We've got a running gag, me and Ted Davis, our radio voice. Uh, Ted always says that, you know, we can't have good things in Milwaukee. Something always happens, whatever sport it is, something, uh, something happens to kind of ruin things. And it looked like that might be the case when Giannis went down with the hyperextended knee. But, you know, uh, finally, we had the breakthrough and uh, it, it, it's a beautiful thing. Let's talk about the series. It's hard to talk about because, you know, the two-time MVP status is uncertain. And obviously there's the Bucks with Giannis and the Bucks without Giannis. And the, the, the Bucks with him are not only more talented, they just play differently. It's the, the whole thing changes. But 
what intrigues you about this matchup as you you did both you did the Suns games this year you've you they were both epic regular season games uh, uh, you you know these teams as you know the, the visiting team the other team is well or better th- than anyone in in your business what what sticks out at you is an interesting part of this matchup what's why are the Suns so good just what are you looking for when when the game tips well Chris Paul I'm one of his biggest admirers um, just watching him throughout his career you know, when you read about his pawpaw, his grandfather dying when he's in high school, his grandfather was 63 and he goes out and scores 63 points in the game. I mean, that kind of, that kind of legendary stuff kind of gets it started. Bottled him with the Clippers. I was doing talk radio with Genie Zelasco in Los Angeles in his Clipper days and saw him uh, kind of have challenges with that team. Great team, Lob City, all that good stuff, but never kind of have the breakthrough in the postseason. My point is this, Zach, is that when he was with Oklahoma City last season, uh, and I'm thinking it's a rebuild year for them. And he's just going to be there to tutor the young guys. And then they're not going to do anything. And they have success. So then you know that what this guy, I've always said that he's one of the greatest leaders in professional sports history. And the fact he's been president of the Players Association, I think five or six, seven years, some, some crazy amount of years is indicative of the respect that he has amongst his peers. My point is, man, I had to go up to him when he was warming up at Oklahoma City in, 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 in five-serve form before our game last year, it was a little brief moment where he was kind of kind of broke away from the layup line. And I went up, put my arm around him and said, man, look, I am so proud of just kind of how you conducted yourself, the way you repped yourself as a player, as a, as a person throughout your entire career. Thinking that it was over. Oklahoma City would be the last stop. You know, he'd, he'd stay there a year, two years and kind of ride into the sunset and it's all done. Now, all of a sudden, here this dude is in the NBA Finals. And the numbers that he has put up uh, have just been just been mind-boggling in terms of what he has done as a closer. Uh, what, I've got the numbers here with 27 out of 35 of their last points against the Clippers in game six, 25 of 37 second-half points against the Nuggets in game four. You know, that gives you an idea how badly he wants this. So, so my point is, that's the guy that you've got to find an answer to. You're not going to stop him, maybe not even – I don't know if you can slow him, but you, you got to do something to, to try and break up his rhythm a, a bit. Maybe maybe blitz him some off the of screens, switch every whatever you're going to do. You've got to try and attack him. You see, you, you chop off the head, the body will fall. He's the head. And my final point with Chris, I mean, I'm, I've always been this proponent of waiting until after the, the NBA playoffs to give out the MVP award. He has really been, I call it the real MVP. I mean, Jokic, great year. Don't get me wrong, taking nothing from here. But just like Giannis was MVP, Kawhi was the best in the league that year. Giannis MVP again. LeBron James was actually the real MVP in terms of start to finish. Chris Paul right now has a chance to, to kind of fit into that mold of being the guy that has uh, really had, had, had the best season from start to finish of anybody. So to me, that's, that's, the, that's the key. But also their mid-range game, more and more tangibly mid-range, they kill you in the mid-range. Devin Booker and Chris Paul and Bridges and those guys, they get to their spots and that's what the Bucks like to give up. That's how our defense is predicated on teams having to knock down floaters and mid-range jump shots. Well, we haven't had success two games against this team from the mid-range. So I'm sure that uh, Coach Budenholzer and staff are, are diligently working on a game plan, a scheme to kind of try and thwart uh, their effectiveness as the mid-range team. You know, I didn't mean for this to become the, the Marcus Johnson is awesome hour. But when you're talking about Chris Paul being the real MVP or, or in your head, the sort of full season, regular season of playoffs MVP, in my head started thinking, well, I wonder what that means for his 
opinion of Giannis's two MVPs. And I didn't even have to ask the question. Yeah. You just answered it. And what I'm saying is, I should have mentioned this opening. You are not a homer. And and you you call it straight down the line. You're honest. You'll be critical of the Bucks when when it matters, but you do it in a way that it's not it's not mean or or negative. It just it just is. You state the facts when there's a context that needs to be stated, even if it's not flattering to the Bucks. You say it, and you just don't hear. I don't know that any broadcaster in your position would have just said what you just said about Giannis. And that's part of the broadcast. It's part of why your broadcast is so good. There was even a, a time this season you guys were playing. God, it must have been it must have been Toronto or something because you brought up the Norm Powell OGN and OB trade and how for Gravis Vasquez and how it didn't work. I'm like, there's just no one else would do that. So I, anyway, that's just that. Well, but yeah, you are, and I, I think you commented. I saw your column. You, you, I, I did. I think I kind of rhetorically just asked the ethers, where's Gravis Vasquez right now? You know, what is yeah. he doing now after, Nor- after Norman Powell just lit us up in that game? But, you know, I like to have fun with it, man. And, and, and it's the truth. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's hard to swallow at times. But and, and getting back to Giannis and MVP, I was talking to Eric Name, our talented writer for The Athletic that covers the Bucks. Great, great. And I'm glad he brought it. He's great. He's great. He is great. The, the clips that he posts is his, 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 his I mean, it gets on my nerves. He's so good with this, with his, uh, with the way he breaks the games down. I mean, he, he's just really, really good. So I steal a lot of his stuff. But he talked about how Giannis, until he played well in the playoffs and the Bucks had playoff success, his writing partners and voters would never, the media would never give him the MVP award. And so they he didn't even finish top three this year. So that 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 validates what I'm saying is that that you've got to do it. You, you, it, to me, it's, it, it doesn't make sense to be the most valuable player and you're not allowed to consider the most valuable part of the season. That's just me. I understand it's a regular season award. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to die on that hill, but I would love to see uh, guys and, and people say, well, they've got the finals MVP. Well, Andre Iguodala was a finals MVP. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could see a, a scenario where Chris Middleton could be the finals MVP. Giannis could be the overall regular season MVP. Devin Booker could be the finals MVP. Chris Paul would, you know what I mean? So, so that's not uh, cut and dry that way. So that's just, just, that's just me, man. You, you nailed the most interesting, I think, battleground of the series when the Suns have the ball, which is just how aggressively do the Bucks try to take away those mid-rangers or how much do the Suns hurt them if they start off in a conservative defense? Let's, let's flip to the other side. When the Bucks have the ball, and I realize this is difficult because we don't know if Giannis is going to play or not at the beginning, at least. When the Bucks have the ball and Phoenix is on defense, what have you noticed about the Suns' defense, or what's an area of the Bucks' offense that you're going to be looking at when the series opens? Well, Phoenix, Phoenix's defense. I mean, they are the best, I believe, during the playoffs in terms of restricted area opponent field goal percentage. So they've done a really good job. Just like the Bucks are really strong in that area too. Um, uh, another another great stat is that DeAndre Ayton, uh, when he went head up against Giannis, I thought Giannis just from from visually just the eye eye test had a lot of success against Ayton. But then you look at the matchup numbers, and Giannis was like ten for twenty four uh, matched up personally against Ayton. I think he was seventeen for twenty one against everybody else. You know, he had the big 40, 47 whatever point game against Phoenix. So for me, Phoenix's defense. And what the Bucks like to do, the Bucks are got it's going to be similar to Atlanta. I mean, everybody, you, you hear the guys on TNT and how the Bucks need to go inside and dominate the paint. Well, that might happen a game, two games, but Monty Williams is too good of a coach to allow it to consistently be something that's going to get him beat. So they'll make the adjustment. Once again, this team is going to have to knock down some, some three-point shots. I said it going into, 
into game six down in Atlanta. Bucks would have to knock down 15 to 18. I just kind of had a number in my head. I thought they'd shoot about 40 plus based on how Atlanta would, would uh, uh, gear their defense toward Brook Lopez and protecting the paint more than they did when the Bucks just, just scored the 66 points in the paint uh, the, the game prior to that. So the point is the Bucks and this team hadn't shot the ball. Like with their 31, 32% from the three-point line during the playoffs. This is a team that was top five three-point percentage during the season. To me, you know, the, the percentages have got to even out at some point. So I think this team is going to have to knock down some shots to, to win this series from the outside, some long uh, perimeter shots, some three-point shots to win this series. But you can't – you got to also stay with that the, the fast-paced type of attack that they're using because Drew Holiday is so good with the broken field. You know what I mean? Coming up, and he can find the crevices, find the gaps – his physicality can take advantage of whoever, if Chris Paul is matched up against him early on in transition, uh, that, that, that'll be uh, advantageous to, to Drew, even Devin Booker. He can make him work and hopefully take something out of his leg. So, you know, it's a combination of attacking the rim, but also looking to looking to do what this team has has done the last three years. It's been the personality of this team. They, they, they say, let it fly is our motto. And I just don't think they'll, they'll go away from that uh, too much. Uh, especially if uh, the if uh, excuse me the uh, the Suns uh, make the adjust- the adjustments that you expect them to make. Well, part of the reason they they went so hard in the paint in those last two games against Atlanta was that Giannis wasn't there. So yeah. all the all the cutting baskets that Giannis usually gets went to Lopez and Portis. Now they obviously also took advantage of like when they switched on defense and the same matchups came over to the other end when they got stopped. So they've got a guard on Portis or a guard on Lopez. They dumped it. But part of the, it's not like they were just feeding Brooke Lopez against Clint Capella. It was like, all right, do some Olajuwon stuff, Brooke. It, right. it was, it was cuts and stuff. And the floor being more open without Giannis was, was part of that. So I, it's, I think this is going to be a fun series. I, I really just hope Giannis is 90%. I hope we get to see real Giannis for most of the series. Cause I think these teams are pretty evenly matched. It should be a fun series. Well, and, and so a fun fact, too, is that the starting lineup for the Bucks never played together during the regular season. We picked up P.J. Tucker in March, March 1st, I believe. Played 31 minutes during the playoffs. They had a 150 per 100 possessions offensive rating, <laughs> which is crazy, and but a 97 per 100 possessions defense. So this, this kind of patchwork, P.J. Tucker, Bobby Portis, Brooke, Drew, and Chris Middleton, and we got to talk more about Chris Middleton. I'm sure we will, but but it's, it's just played phenomenally, man. It's been been crazy how well they've kind of meshed without having played any time together uh, during the regular season. I think during the playoffs they may have played uh, you know ten nine or ten minutes together. So anyway, uh, but 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 here's the thing about Giannis. Giannis, his, his elasticity as an athlete, I've seen him Zach sprain ankles, twist knees. There was a game I, I forget that who we were playing, but but. He was uh, in pregame sh- uh, warm-up, shooting around. Something happened with his knee. We caught it on camera, and you could see him go and rub his knee, limp off. Portland the floor. in in it Portland. Just, it was it was in Portland. Portland. Yeah, it was in Portland. It was in Portland. And Pashke and I were like, okay, he's done. Not playing tonight. Probably be out three or four days. He plays in the game, scores forty whatever points in that game. I think he sits out the next game. So the point is, I expect him. I'm not sure if it'll happen tomorrow night. I, I'm pretty certain that it will. I don't know anything officially, but I really expect him to be out there and then not miss too much time based on uh, his history of uh, quick recoveries from injuries like that. If I have Marcus Johnson on the podcast, there are two things that I have to ask about that are not related to the Milwaukee Bucks team of the present. One is history, which we'll get to. And the second is your, I'm just going to say it, your decorated 
Hollywood career as both actor and screenwriter. Okay. So first, so I was going back and refreshing my memory on the eighties bucks and how close you guys got. And I had forgotten about this. You mentioned it early on game seven against the Sixers in 81 in the second round. Now the Sixers go on to lose the conference finals against Boston also in seven, an epic Celtics comeback there. I had forgotten. Number one, it's in Philly. Number two, only 6,000 plus fans showed up. The arena was like half empty because it was Easter um, and maybe other reasons. Number three, you guys lose by one. One. And you mentioned the out-of-bounds play and Philly runs out the clock. And then there's a two-hour delay because the Bucks protest or demand a review of a 24-second, a potential 24-second violation because Philly got a bunch of offensive rebounds and it was unclear if one of the offensive rebounds had hit the rim and like, well, should they reset the game? They like led to a local TV station with the coaches to look at VCR recordings of the shot. So like, what's going on in those two hours? Are you already gone? Is the game, do you have any memory of that? That is wild. No, no man. And, and, you know, as a player, you don't expect anything like that to, to really make a difference. I mean, it, it's a good try by the organization, but, I think we'd all pretty much accepted the fact that, that, you know, we had lost an opportunity to move on and play against the Celtics. And uh, it was a great game seven. I had like 36 going against Doc. I used to always joke that, uh, you know, I had to work overtime because I'd have to guard Doc at one end and then try and score against Bobby Jones at the other end. So it was, it was just a great, great uh, series, seven game series. And, uh, but, but no, that, that I, I think I read about that after the fact, maybe years after the fact that the protest and the, and, the, and the, the review of the film and all that. But as a player, you're just so, so upset and so, so ticked off that you, you, you know, I got to Milwaukee and I thought that we would definitely get to the finals, especially after my third year around the all-star break, we picked up Bob Lanier. We finished the season 20 and six, I believe. Uh, we lose to the Sonics uh, in, a, in a seventh game. That's when we were in the Western conference. And it just taught me a valuable lesson about um, uh, how to approach it. I came out really cool that seventh game. Like I know, you know, we, we got this, you know, we're going to win this game. And, and the Sonics came out like alley cats. Johnny Johnson was all up in my face talking. I'm like, yeah, Johnny, we're cool. What are you doing, man? You know, Gus Williams and Dennis Johnson. We're cool. LA guys, Gus at USC, Dennis at Pepperdine, Compton guy. But, but it's, it's like, man, you know, this is like life or death. And it taught me a valuable lesson how to, how to approach moments like that. You've got, and again, that's why I think I, I mentioned tweeting about game sevens, about how you got to go out there and just, you know, and, and just play like your life depends on it. And that's how you got to approach these finals games. Even though I've never been there, I've watched enough of them to know that it's, 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 it's the toughness element. You can scheme out all the defense, offense stuff you want to, but which is going to be the tougher minded team to me is going to be the team that uh, hoist up the trophy at the end. You had 36 points and nine rebounds on 16 of 25 shooting in that game. Yeah, that's that. a bad, that's a badass <laughs> performance. That's a badass performance. I, just, got player, I got player of the game from CBS on a losing team. That was one of the rare times that, you know, that CBS uh, uh, gave out the player of the game to, to a uh, player from the losing team. So that, that was, uh, you know, that, hey. I, that, that, that's worth something. I'd rather win the game, obviously, but Hey, you know, I tried my best. Well, and just to give you an idea of how good those, I don't want to dwell on the, the near misses, but. You know, you lose to Philly in game seven of that series. And again, Celtic Sixers went to seven the next round. 82, you lose to Philly again. 83, you sweep the Celtics yeah. in the second round. Bill Fitch got fired because of that series, basically. And they moved, they changed. So you got, you got a coach 
fired in Boston. And then, then you run into the full, full, full Sixers team. And you're the only team that takes a game off that team in the playoffs. Like that doesn't sound like much, but like, that's though that's the, your, your opposition during that time. We're not talking about like a run of the mill, great team. We're talking about two absolutely loaded teams. And you guys were right in that conversation. It's just hard to beat those teams four times. Yeah. And it's funny. I used to get into an argument with Stephen A. Smith. Uh, when when a team loses in five games, it's not a competitive series. We lost in five to the Sixers, and if you look at those scores, the first I mean, we lost by I don't know two or three points. I mean, there was a missed shot, a, a, a three not taken in one of the early games. So we were right there, and le- and at least probably three of the five games had an opportunity to win. But to me, that was always the unfair part about it. I wish uh, they would have done what uh, <laughs> what, the, what the commissioner did to the Lakers when they picked up. Chris Paul, what's I mean, adding Moses Malone to Dr. Oh. J and Mo oh. Chief, Bobby Jones and Caldwell Jones is a guy that doesn't get enough credit. Just a great defensive player. 6'11", quick feet used to give me fits on the defensive end uh, when he guarded me. So, uh, but, you know, so and, and even the Celtic teams, I mean, between Larry Bird and McHale and Parrish and uh, that crew, I mean, you know, it was it was it was disappointing at the time, obviously, Zach, but but looking back on it. You know, these are like all-time great front lines and and teams that uh, that the organizations put together. And we, j- I used to always say that if we would have picked up Bob Lanier instead of him being 32-33 when we picked him up from Detroit, if we could have gotten him at 29-30, it might have been different because even at 32-33, he was still a force. But he was a 25 and, and 12 guy uh, just three years prior because his knees were pretty much shot by the time we got him. So. Hey, it is what it is, man. But, uh, you know, we, we competed and uh, had a good time doing it. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. When people discuss and debate the best performance in a movie, by a professional basketball player, a professional athlete. We always default to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in airplane. And he was great. He was yeah. great. And I'm always like, Mar- Marcus Johnson and white men can't jump. That's the gold standard. It's a great role. You kill it. And it's it's memorable. And you've told a lot, everyone asked you about white men can't jump. So I apologize in advance for asking you about white men can't jump. You've told all the stories about pickup games and I saw you on Dan Patrick's show a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, talking about what Woody and Wesley Snipes were doing, let's just say off the floor, <laughs> and, the, and the party at Woody Harrelson's house, and Woody calling 
trying to call you for a foul in a yeah. pickup game. I mean, impugning his I, integrity, impugning my integrity. How dare you impugn my integrity? I mean, that's the worst trash talk I've ever heard in my life, man. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I mean, how long are you on the set? I mean, you're in what are you in like, you're in like three or four scenes. I think if I, I haven't seen the movie recently, but you're, it's not just the one scene you're in a few. How long are you on set? What's, are there outtakes that you're proud of? Like, I, I just, this is, it's an all time great performance by an athlete. Well, uh, the thing that stands out, we had a six week training camp in South central Los Angeles at Rancho park near not too far from where I live in the, the Baldwin Hills View Park area, real nice area. Um, I think the highest per capita income of a predominantly black neighborhood in the country. So it's really, I mean, here's a story for you. When I was, I moved to this area from really deep in South Central when I was 11. So I'm on the playgrounds playing Sandlot touch football. I'm quarterbacking and my right end was Ray Charles Jr. And my left end was Ike Turner Jr. So this, this is the kind of neighborhood that I'm living in, the people that I'm, you know, that I'm playing, wow. playing all with, you know, and so a lot of great athletes, a lot of great entertainers from, from, from this neighborhood. But uh, so, 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 we, so we go through this six week training camp. And so we've got to do just a basic three man weave that Wesley Snipes would mess up every single time. Now, Dick Baker was the coach at Loyola Marymount for a number of years. He was responsible, he and Rob Ryder for kind of putting us through the paces, getting everybody in game shape for, for the filming of this movie. And, uh, and so uh, if you messed up the drill, three-man weave, you had to do it again. So Wesley Snipes would mess up five, six, seven times. He could just not get the hang of this three-man. So what wound up happening, and I started it off, whenever Wesley would get to the front of the line, you found yourself with him as a partner for this three-man weave along with another person. So I would like, oh, my shoestring's untied. Hey, go ahead of me, man. You take my spot. So everybody started doing that over and over again. Anytime Wesley, anytime Wesley was at the front of the line, you'd have five or six guys. Oh yeah, I got a little bit of a, I need to go re, get retaped. I got to rub some, some analgesic balm on my, on my hamstring. Go ahead, man, you got me. So finally Wesley cut on and he was like, okay, I see what you MFR, you MFRs are doing. I know what y'all are doing. Just, just give me two weeks. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And after two weeks, he kind of got it down. But we had, man, we had a great time. We had a ball on that set. Another funny moment was when uh, I came out of my trailer for lunch. And I was in my character of Raymond, I just get old kind of dude. And there was some music blasting, a good funky beat, maybe a atomic dog by 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 by, by Funkadelics. So I come out of my trailer like kind of dancing, like like the character would dance, you know, just doing my thing. And Rosie Perez, who was a like an original fly girl, she sees me and she gets all excited. Oh, I see you. She she comes up and we just start cooking, man. We just start dancing, me and her. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, I'm trying to hold my own against this fly girl. Let me just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't. It's like it's like Peter walking out of the out of the boat on the water. When you when you think about it, you sink to the bottom. So don't let me think about it. Let me just keep dancing, man, and just stay in this character and, and hang with her as long as I could. But we had a great time on that set, man. Who else is in those pickup games? Are you playing three on three, five on five? Like what's, I know you and Woody and I guess Wesley's playing and you talked about Woody barking about fouls and all this play. Like who, are there other pro players or pro level players that they brought in? Who else is in these games? Most of the guys are really good college level players. Nigel Miguel was a guy that played at UCLA. He's been in a lot of films. Uh, he's been the technical advisor for a lot of movies. Uh, another funny story with Nigel, he was the uh, technical advisor on uh, the first, um, uh, Michael Jordan movie Space Jam and so you know he's my boy UCLA he's a Belizean guy I wound up coaching the Belizean national team in 2010 because of Nigel he's always he's always looking out for me we're really really good friends and so Nigel has a 
has a has a money making proposition for me to do. Come down to the Space Jam uh, lot and be one of the monsters. And so to do that, you had to put on this green acrylic skin tight suit and just go through some basketball movements and two thousand dollars. You know, I said, okay, that sounds easy enough. I go down there, Zach. <laughs> me and some other ball players. Six, 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 seven. I'm not in great shape at that point. Got this big midsection and all that. I put on this tight green acrylic suit, and I just look. <laughs> I look like I look. I look crazy, and I and I and I and I told Nigel, man, I can't do this, man. <laughs> He's like, what's wrong? I mean, I just, I mean, I just, you know, I'm an actor, man. I can't, I can't go out here in this green acrylic suit, looking all fat and out of shape, and just. And so he's like, I understand MJ. I said, don't worry, we'll get somebody else to do it. So he got somebody else to do it and gave me gave me another scene in in the movie doing something else. But uh, but yes, that, that was my that was my space jab story. My 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 ego and pride, man, wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me be seen in this tight green acrylic suit and get get to just 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 you know just feel like. Uh, Feel, feel feel laughed at and mocked and all that stuff. So that's my space jam. Story. Well, I haven't seen White Men Can't Jump in probably 15 years, so I don't know how it's aged. Let's say, but I'll I'll say this: I was on the jump maybe two or three years ago. It was me, Rachel, and Paul Pierce, and I don't know. I I think someone had done something on the best basketball movie ever, and we were maybe going to do a segment on it. And Rachel said, "What's your guys' favorite basketball movie ever?" And Paul and I almost simultaneously said white men can't jump. Everyone expects the answer to be Hoosiers. Again, I, I, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but both of us said white men can't jump. Let, let, your character in that movie is based on a real person. You wrote a screenplay about that person, but you told me today you, you've written another screenplay that I was not aware of. That sounds really cool. Tell, I didn't know you were like a prolific writer as well. This is not, it's a lot of talents, but tell me, tell us about this other screenplay. Well, the other screenplay is uh, the first one you mentioned is about Reggie Harding, who was the first, uh, one of the first high school to pro guys, early Detroit, uh, street guy, uh, the, 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 the siren call of the streets was always his undoing, bounced around the league. Anyway, so that's, that's the first one. Really, really, really great story. I would love to get Anthony Davis, as a matter of fact. He's 6'10", Reggie was 6'10", 6'11", to, 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 to try and play that role, I think, with, with, with me kind of walking him through. I think he'd be great for it, just watching him in commercials. This other screenplay is called Burning for Justice. It's about integrating the LA Fire Department right around the time of Brown versus Board of Education in the mid 50s. A group of really courageous black men uh, who named themselves the Stentorians, which means a loud, powerful voice. They kind of formed this support group to help each other kind of walk through what was uh, just abject racism at that time. And one guy had feces placed on his pillow when he laid down to sleep at night. I mean, they wouldn't let uh, the black uh, firemen, uh, you couldn't even talk to the white firemen at that point. They give them the silent treatment. They, they, they didn't come to their, to their aid during certain drills and rescue situations that were dangerous. So, uh, but this group of black firemen, man, uh, I had an opportunity, Zach, to interview about five of them over the last 10 years, me and my writing partner, partner writing partner, Todd Washerman, uh, to interview these guys, and most of them have passed away. One, Reggie Ballard Sr. just passed away about two weeks ago. But uh, just listening to them and the stories they tell, my point is this, is that the league does a great job, man, of, of promoting uh, all these superhero movies, the Avengers and all that. You know, let's, let's, let's put some of that energy behind some stories about real people and, and give these real men who, who, were, who were trailblazers in this social justice movement that we're so actively involved in now Let's give them their props in, in a way that uh, that would be good for the league, good for the community, good for society, and uh, I think good for the players. And, and so I got a part for Steph Curry in this movie, 
I mean, there's a fireman by the name of Arnett Hartsfield, you know, who was a, a law student, USC, while he was a fireman, but, but family man, really great role. Got a part for Steph Curry. I've, I've approached this production company, Unanimous, didn't get much traction. I tried to go through Dale, his dad, uh, same kind of situation. So I'm, I'm putting it out there right now on your show, man. Come on, Steph, take a look at this screenplay. It's perfect for what you want to do in your production company. And uh, all you got to do is take a look at it. You want to pass on it, fine, but at least give it an opportunity. Well, look, it sounds like it's it, when you said texted me Stentorians, I, I had not heard of this story and I Googled around. And I started reading about it. I said this this would make a, a really moving and yeah. real movie. I, I it was I was went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But look, you got to go. You got finals to prep for. Marcus Johnson, I'm, I'm happy that you get to see the Bucks in the finals. I'm happy that we get to listen to you on broadcasts, And I hope that continues. It's just it's a thrill to do this with you. And Boy, next time I'm in Milwaukee, let's go grab a beer. Let's go out to dinner or something. It'd be great to see you. Sounds great, man. I appreciate you, appreciate you man. Thanks, thanks for the support. I appreciate it.